What happens at the end of the book? The savior fights the final battle. Mic drop. Again. Ow. <laughs> You're listening to Once, episode 291, Mother's Little Helper. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And I'm Heather Ordover. We liked this episode, right? We yeah. did. Good episode. Yeah. Really leading toward season finale, series finale. I really, really believe leading towards series finale. Slash entire last season. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> And this episode was written by Kitsis and Horowitz. So it's, it's no surprise that it's really good. They tend to write really important, good episodes. I know not every single one they have is fantastic, but many times, I mean, every writer might have a dud, every writer might have a success, but many times when Kitsis and Horowitz are the main writers on an episode, it's, it's a very important episode a game changer episode and it's often a very good episode yeah the humor on this one i thought was fantastic and the storytelling the pace was so much better than last week yeah okay so it was an exciting episode i am conflicted and as we go through i'm going to highlight reasons that i'm conflicted i can't decide if there are moments that were bad or if there are moments that were good, but seem bad to me because we've spent season after season in the dark realm of Once Upon a Time being brainwashed into believing things that are not necessarily true. Things that I've argued against, but which I now find inseparable from this story. But things that they completely threw out in their writing of the characters in this episode. You want to tell those now or save them for later? As we go, I will reveal what I am talking about. Okay. <laughs> Wait for the reveal. <laughs> and speaking of reveal, I have something cool to reveal, and that is our upcoming series or season finale party will be in the greater Cincinnati area. I have secured a venue. Uh, they've put us on the calendar. We're working out some of the finer details now, but it looks like we will be at the Red Tree Coffee House and Art Gallery in Cincinnati. It's a neat little place, fun place to be, uh, really cool looking on the inside. So you can start making plans, and it looks like our finale will be on Mother's Day, May 14th. So we hope you can make it if you're anywhere in the Cincinnati area or able to travel to here. You could arrange for a hotel around that area or northern Kentucky area. There are all kinds of hotels all over the place. If uh, you can make it to the finale party, please email us to let us know so we can make sure that we have enough space and make adequate plans. We'll do something like we'll go to dinner somewhere beforehand. We'll watch the show together either on a projector or a big screen TV. We'll record the podcast live there in the event space afterward. And then later in the week, we would do our full discussion with as many of our podcast co-hosts as we can get on. So we'd love for you to join us for that. If you're able to make it, 
we'd love for you to be there. It will be an all evening kind of activity, and it's a lot of fun. We did this once before, and boy, was it a lot of fun to hang out with other Oncers and watch the season finale before. So if you can join us, please email feedback at onespodcast.com and put in the subject line finale party if you'll be able to make it there. And we'd love to see you. Spell finale correctly or you're out. <laughs> it's final. <laughs> or Jeez. is it the final party? Ooh. Or is this when the final party mm-hmm. will begin? The final finale party. Whoa. Just finale party in the subject line will be enough. <laughs> <laughs> feedback at onespodcast.com if you can make it, and we sure hope you can. So let's start our discussion about this episode in the past with our special delivery from the Black Fairy. This is presumably after battling with the Blue Fairy, and here she is victorious from her battle and flying back to her little hovel in the ground (laughs) with her prize, Gideon. And then you find out that she's tiny for flight, just like Blue. Yeah. So now I'm imagining... The little tiny magic blast and the little <laughs> tiny punches that were possibly exchanged in the woods while they fought over little shrunken baby Gideon. Kind of like <laughs> the epic fight scene in Ant-Man. Ant-Man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you were a normal size observer, you would not know that something truly epic and life or death was taking place right in front of your face. But magic something's happening on a tiny, tiny little scale. (laughs) What do you think about her calling Gideon precious? She didn't say my precious, at least. Uh, Well, sadly. Why did she go out of her way to take Gideon and call him precious when she had her own son at one time and did not consider him precious? She emphasized loyal throughout this episode, but she didn't give her own son a chance to be loyal or disloyal. Given where he went with his life, there's a good chance that he might have been exactly the son she wanted. Rumple, I mean. So why why the change? I feel like there's more to her story that would be actually kind of interesting to see. I think because Gideon is magic born. Rumple was not well hmm. okay, Rumple's oh, her son, yeah. so he is partially magic born, but not born of Dark One magic. And it's possible, and we'll share some feedback about this later on, but it's possible that she is somehow the originator of Dark One magic, as well as other aspects of dark Mm. magic. And so maybe she needed someone who is more saturated with this than Rumpel would have been born with, or not born with Dark One magic at all. She needed someone that was actually tainted by the darkness by birth. Evil isn't born, it's made, dearie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As quoted in this episode, anyway. (laughs) It was nice, in a way, to see that scene that Gideon had referred to, the story of when he discovered he was a coward, (laughs) but also a bit traumatic. And I think the way that they shot it and such, they knew that this could easily be overly traumatic uh, to families, to children. And so they shot it this particular way so that we never actually heard the child being beaten, Roderick. But uh, we heard him crying for help before he was being beaten and abused. Yeah, see, my my feeling watching it was, 
okay, in a sense, we already saw this because he described it in detail and we saw it in our mind's eyes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for me, it was actually more chilling not seeing it portrayed because, yes, I imagined that he was out of sight, that whatever he could hear was far more disturbing and he really would have been compelled to go help Roderick, but he didn't. In this case, it was sort of like he wasn't even out of sight. He was just sort of yelling because he was scared and then she closed the cell door on him before she even took the boy away. So it it felt compressed compared to what I imagined as they already went to the trouble of explaining it verbally. And a bit more traumatic for Roderick too. Because instead of being tormented somewhere off in the distance and not knowing what was happening with Gideon, Roderick saw what happened. He saw that Gideon could open the door, or the door was open for Gideon, but that Gideon made a choice not to save his friend. That's probably why they did it the way they did it, so that he would have something to reference later, but... That was the only thing I could think of was because of the the later scenes between Gideon and Roderick that otherwise I couldn't come up with a good reason for why they'd include the scene, which, as you said, it, it was much better in my mind. It was much more traumatic in my mind listening to it um, as a, as a story that was being told to us last, the last episode. Did you notice what part of her handsome hero he was reading? The spider story. Yeah. Mm hmm. I don't like spiders. Why did that book not get burned or destroyed in some magical way by Black Fairy? Maybe because it's a horcrux. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) That's it. That's what it was. And why does she say Deary? Well, timeline-wise, this is, remember, happening basically simultaneously with everything that's been happening in Storybrooke this season. Oh, that's true. This is not really that far in the past. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I figured Rumpel got it from her. Well, but he didn't know her. Maybe that's part of the darkness, is that it makes you say deary. <laughs> it is kind of a curse. It's a sign. It is, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't even think about that this was all happening in the space of a few days. A few days of our time. Of our time. But 28 years of their time, because time works so much differently there. Apparently, it also works differently in Storybrooke next to Broadway, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) or maybe we should not. Not bother with that. (laughs) Because, yeah, there is definitely some some fallacy there. Uh, Gideon's birthday. Oh, what a happy day. Cake. (laughs) And smiles and rainbows and presents and all of his friends turned into bugs and squashed by his mother. Thanks. Happy birthday to you too, mom. Let's not do this yes. again next year. This is good parenting 101, the whole episode. No, I, I found it strange that he seemed shocked by the concept of birthday, but not only that, but that he had quite a lot of them, technically, according to her, that this was his 28th and this is the first time she's mentioned the concept of birthdays to him she's the worst 
right? Just the worst. Well, she... 28, whereas in Lost, the magic numbers are 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. And those certainly make their appearances throughout Once Upon a Time and in this episode, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Just pretty much any time yeah. you look at a clock, it's probably 8, 15 or 8, 16. <laughs> Everything happens either at 8, 15 in the morning or 8, 15 in the evening. Uh, and there are other numbers throughout the episodes many times, uh, including the number when you add all of those up, you get 108. And that's the mayor's uh, home address. But the once upon a time number is 28. Mm-hmm. Emma was 28. Right. Emma was 28. But you know why? Why? Because the cast is definitely in between 23 and 42. So they have to pick a different magic number for everyone's age to be in the middle. I do kind of wonder if his 28th birthday is significant for him. Like, is he a sort of a savior too, just like Aladdin was? And 28 is that magical number for saviorness, which is (laughs) kind of surprising that they would go with 28 because... Uh, maybe some numerologist out there would know why 28, but the concept of Savior comes heavily from biblical origins. Mm-hmm. And Jesus started his public ministry when he was, no, not 28, sorry, when he was 30 years old. 30. And yeah. his ministry lasted for three years, and he was crucified when he was 33. They don't use those same ages here in Once Upon a Time, unless <laughs> when Emma sacrifices herself at the end of the series, that she'll be 33 years old. And then they'll equate her to Jesus, which would be weird, awkward, and strange. Awkward. (laughs) Yep. No, I was trying to figure that out too. If there was, if there was something, something about being twenty-eight or turning twenty-eight that was the the beginning of things. That that's the the tripwire. But I didn't get very far with that thinking. This was the scene when we first saw the black fairy dust too, and I like how much they had the black fairy dust throughout this episode. Maybe a little bit too much, but definitely reinforcing season one ideas because it was in season one, the episode snow falls when we first learned about the black fairy dust. And that's the dust that snow used on the trolls on the bridge in order to turn them into little cockroaches or big cockroaches. (laughs) And so far (laughs) the use of it has been consistent. That's a good thing. It's not melting prison bars it's not turning out to actually be the thing that did the other magical thing instead of the magical thing that you thought did that thing. And it doesn't open portals, <laughs> doesn't kill krakens, it doesn't summon mermaids, it doesn't kill spiders. It turns people into vermin and spiders or bugs. Something easier to defeat, <laughs> yeah. as I recall, is the actual definition the of what it does. The whole purpose of it. Is that what she put around, the Black Fairy put around Gideon's neck, the little file? Yes, because the plan was for him to use that on whoever stole the key. Oh. And that's what even Gideon said in this next scene when he visits the mines. Uh, he says, vermin, I'll right, turn vermin. you into vermin. And that's what this dust does. Right. Which I would assume that's what it does in its raw form. But when it's processed and mixed with other things, you know, maybe a baby here and there, then it does other things like can make the big, giant, dark curse. Right. Hmm. Helpful safety tip. You have to add kraken blood and squid ink <laughs> and... Vanilla extract. Sure. <laughs> and extract of llama. Llama. And tongue of newt. Not I. Yes. 
mm-hmm. add those things. That cracked me up. Boom. It's important to be specific when you're doing spells. When Gideon and Roderick are convinced that they should work together to take down the Black Fairy, um, they mentioned that she'd been using the the dust to create and perfect the dark curse or that she had used it for that in the past. But now apparently she has even more. Right. She's still harvesting it. Why? Because she wants to cast a dark curse on all the realms. The doomsday device. That might not be too far-fetched of an idea, actually. Mm. And we've got some fantastic theories about this that I'll share near the end of this episode. She wants to live in a multiverse full of cockroaches for some reason. (laughs) Where all of her enemies can be squashed or gotten rid of by a four-inch tall can of Raid. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm confused about Gideon's time in this dark realm, which was mostly like a cave and a room or two. What... And by the way, that just shows my disappointment at not seeing a greater depiction of what a dark realm inhabited by the Black Fairy would look like. But maybe True, this is yeah. probably all we'll get to see of it. Maybe. But why? Unless we get her backstory. Yeah. But did Gideon actually work in the mines? He said something about hardly having been able to survive the mines, which I don't know why she would... If he's so precious, I mean, I guess she can put him to work and consider him special. Wait, did he say that in this episode or was that a previous episode? It was this episode. He said it as an adult to Roderick. Okay. When he was trying to explain his not saving him or trying. Well, he also said, I had no choice, Mm -hmm. which was a lie. He did have a choice. What was he going to do? That's, (laughs) I'm not real worked up about that. But that's similar to some of the, well, some of the Jasmine stuff. It's like, well, yeah. okay, so yeah. so he walks out of the cage. What does he do? Get flung across the room by Black Fairy and, and then she still does what she wants to do? Like, yeah. Trying to do something shows courage. Yeah. Not even trying at all is, yeah. I think, worse than trying and failing. There again, the narrative that he told worked better because she wasn't looking directly at him when the cage was open. Mm-hmm. So at least, I don't know, as long as she's staring at him, it's like, okay, so he walks out of the cage, but he's not going to get anywhere. But he could at least, even if he thought she left it open on purpose, if he had walked out when she wasn't looking, he could have maybe found something she wasn't expecting. Maybe. There was still some hope, but I think that situation, I don't know what he was supposed to do exactly. There were so many good lines when they went to steal the orb. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, traumatic stuff with with turning Roderick into a bug and actually squashing him. Do you think Adam and Eddie like boots a lot? (laughs) (laughs) Boots and cockroaches, like those things show up in their writing a lot. I wonder how long they lived in New York because those two things figure prominently in, in a life of man, in Manhattan. This would be a perfect moment to play the infamous sound clip, Kiss My Boot, but it's really? not on the soundboard anymore. It's been archived? Yeah. Oh, man. To make room for other things like... Yes. Man, there are so many ways to hurt a person. <laughs> Taking away sound clips is one of them. Uh, a moment of silence, please. 
That's all we've got. That's not on the soundboard. <laughs> well, I thought I thought the orb scene, the entirety of the orb scene, was right up there with the movie Scream. Just the the laundry list of things you are not supposed to do if you find yourself in a horror film. <laughs> like, don't go outside alone. This is primary. Here, it's when you're in the realm of an evil ruler. <laughs> Assume that they can see everything you're doing mm-hmm. because they're evil. Yeah. I. My eyes were crossing during this scene. She's got one orb that can see into other realms. Don't you think she has some other ways to see inside her own realm? Yeah. <laughs> Even if she didn't set you up? <laughs> not only that, but he's 28 at that point. It's not like he's six. He's a very immature 28. He's an innocent. He's not been exposed to everything. a lot. He's still living in his mother's basement, too. I don't know if that's a basement. It's more like a cave. I guess the mines are like a basement. Yeah. Basement to the dark It's underground. Realm. Yeah. <laughs> now, the Black Fairy is pretty knowledgeable about this sword. What sword is this? Please clear this up for me. Okay. This is the sword that Beowulf used. And Emma and Hook found it in Gold's shop later. Yes. But this is also the sword... That the blue fairy said that she had created yes. long ago. So it's fairy magic. Yeah. And blue fairy was the one who cast the black fairy and banished her to the, the black realm or the dark realm. So I think that maybe this sword was somehow used to do that. And then maybe there's, she knew that, well, if the sword could banish me here, it could also free me from my prison here. Matthew, Paul, and chat is reminding us of what the sword is named. Haunting. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> it's a word that just gets stuck in your head for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So it's still a very ill-defined sword. At this point, or its power is ill-defined. But refresh my memory, it was shattered. Yeah. And Gideon was trying to put it back. Oh, they did put it back together. That's when they hurt Blue. Okay, now I'm back on track. That sword has had quite a winding history, including being in two hands at the same time for a moment. So that was weird, too. And we've got, again, we've got some really cool theories about that sword that will be coming up. In a little bit. We'll talk about those when we get to the part where the Black Fairy actually enters Storybrooke. This is cool that almost everything in this story is happening within a very short amount of time with each other. Whereas before we've seen, you know, the flashbacks are years and years ago. This is Mm -hmm. happening in Storybrooke time. This is happening days or hours before Gideon entered the town. But I experienced it more like from Gideon's perspective because I was thinking of this as being 28-ish years ago or 20 years ago or whatever at first and then moving up through the years. Yeah. So let's jump to present-day fairy tale land with Hook finding Blackbeard. And uh, they referenced several past episodes here where Hook traded the Jolly Roger for the Magic Bean. The Jolly Roger was in Blackbeard's possession for a while, and then Hook took it back. And the Jolly Roger just gets passed all around. But we know its value is consistent. One Magic Bean. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) 
at some point, <laughs> the Jolly Roger will trade hands so many times that all of the magic beans will be used up. I think that the Nautilus must be worth 10 magic beans. Oh, more than that. Think well, so? If, I've, been, I've, been, I've been rereading 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea over oh. the last week. Oh, yeah. It depends on whether oh, yeah. it's Kraken's blood tank is full. <laughs> that's true, because that, you know, you throw that in, that's not worth nothing. You got to charge for that stuff. Oddly enough, Jules Verne would, in fact, be spinning in his grave if he heard the Kraken's blood thing. That would not have flown with him. True. But I say that like I know. I do wonder, (laughs) I have to think about and question, and many of the fans have wondered this too, what's really the purpose of seeing Blackbeard and Neverland? They could have gotten hooked to Neverland or gotten hooked to just stay stuck where he was in different ways. Some thoughts are, well, the reason that we see Blackbeard and Neverland is we're seeing a lot of characters from past seasons and we're mm-hmm. seeing a lot of realms from past seasons, the kinds of things you do when you want to end a series. Yeah. yeah, but they're not the most memorable. So it's not Neverland as we knew it. Blackbeard, okay. I don't It's fun. Hate him, but I don't think he was a fan favorite. So I would argue, and I also don't think that they're setting up for a possible seventh season where they go where? Neverland again. That makes no yeah. sense either. I think they might be starting to touch different worlds in little ways, different realms, to show the scope of what is being threatened. They may mm. try to bring oh. some other realms and some key people that you might care about in different realms so that the idea of all the realms being affected feels bigger. So like that the that. threat is a is an all-encompassing threat instead of just... The, the people who we focus on the most. Right, just theoretical, just like a little, that. like an extra bonus chip where it's like, okay, Storybrooke's threatened again, but also the whole world and other worlds. It could I also like be letting us see where these worlds are now that things have changed. Like, we'd never seen Neverland after Pan's death. We didn't even know if it existed. I'm not even sure if that's a question we asked. Right. I don't think we had any <laughs> reason to believe it ceased to exist, but it is significantly different now. It's now brighter And uh, someone even pointed out that Neverland seemed to get progressively darker as Pan stayed longer and longer. Because the first time we saw Neverland and when Pan went there, it was sunlight, uh, it was happy and sunshine and everything. But then by season three, when everyone goes to try and save Henry, Neverland is in almost constant darkness or near darkness. Now it's light again. And now these are the Lost Boys who stayed behind because they didn't want to go back to Storybrooke. It feels like an unnecessary complication, but if there's one thing that I keep saying that they've done well, it's not letting these new wrinkles that could take weeks to resolve do that. They they seem to understand that we might have short attention spans for some new place or character or plot line. Do you think we'll just see Hook bounce from world to world to world trying to get to Emma? And like we visit Wonderland, we visit Agrabah. Well, he was just in Agrabah. It's the once upon a time version of Sliders. <laughs> yeah. Or <laughs> uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, the magician's nephew oh. book where they journey between different realms. Hmm. I don't know what mm-hmm. we'll see. I don't think that they they weren't faceless lost boys, at least not all of them. They cast at least one or two that I think we're going to be talking to. Oh, really? 
Well, it seemed to me. Okay. I just, you know, sometimes somebody's a little more prominent. They don't usually give someone a line, even as simple as kill them, unless they're going to do something with that person. Hmm. Same thing I thought with Gideon. I was like, he was too specifically cast to show up in only one episode for a vision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And here we are. (laughs) (laughs) I was not wrong. (laughs) I could be still wrong. Which, kill them? I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I feel like I need more motivation. So you're stuck on this island. It's just you lot. And the first people that show up, you just want to kill them. Are you going to eat them? Meat. 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 (laughs) Meat. Meat. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, they need to switch that to a double E meat because they probably need to meet some people. Oh, yeah, true. Get some socialization in. Maybe, Maybe it turns out things are so bad that they think greet and kill Maybe they have those words mixed up. They're just trying to say hi. <laughs> That's an odd idea. <laughs> Do you think <laughs> good at that? Do you think Blackbeard has actually escaped at all? He, they're in Neverlands. You can't leave Neverland on a rowboat, can you? See, I already forgot about him. Like he just kind of rode over there, and I forgot about him. That cracked me up, though. The sideways shot when Hook was waking up from being knocked out, seeing. Blackbeard rowing away. Oh. <laughs> I like that. I thought that was fun. But I. But my first thought was, oh, a kraken's going to come along. You know, something's going to stop Blackbeard. You can't just, you can't think that you're going to get anywhere. What with it being the ocean. And he didn't even have a volleyball with him. I mean, what's he going to do? Or a son or a boy with him for someone else to meet him out in the water and say, yeah, we're going to need to take the boy. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Star Trek are lost. All comes back. It does. And speaking of comes back, it all comes back to our wonderful heroes who keep this podcast going for us. And we could not do this podcast without them. So I would love to. And it gives me great pleasure to thank our heroes for this episode. Lisa Slack, Lisa R., Jill Sherrod, Greg Shope, Aaron Nunnally, and Trainer James, plus our 25 heroes on Patreon. Thank you very much for your wonderful support of the podcast. Seriously, we could not do this without you. Your support covers things like hosting the media files so that you can download them quickly. It covers things like paying for people to write our show notes for us or edit the episodes for us so we can get the episodes to you faster. Paying for things like our ability to go see movies sometimes and bring those extra previews and reviews to you. That's what your support does. So if you enjoy the podcast, would you consider giving some value back? And you can do that for as little as a dollar per month or more than that if you'd like. There are certain levels, like if you give $10 per month or more, then you get your name mentioned in an episode. But we always like to mention you if you become a new hero. Now, if you want to become a hero, then go to oncepodcast.com slash hero and contribute whatever you feel the podcast is worth to you. That's over at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Bringing it now to the present in Storybrooke. Emma, for some crazy reason, invites Gideon into her home. Yeah. But then she gives him a nice beating up, which was kind of fun to see Emma going a little bit ballistic. Okay, and here we arrive at the beginning of Jeremy's confusion and conflict. (laughs) She, so, this is tough Emma. Maybe Mm -hmm. our favorite Emma, maybe not. I think, I think that in some ways, 
it's getting back to sort of the roots of Emma's character. The toughness that we saw her bring to Storybrooke. The Bail Bonds person-ness. However, we've had years and years of this behavior only being attributed to villains. And to some degree, she did seem slightly half out of control. So it was a little bit more raw and a little bit more violent for just violence sake, blasting him, hitting him when she didn't really have to to say what she needed to say. And I don't know that storytelling-wise it's bad, but for this show, it is just not what they've been drumming into our heads about Mm. heroes. And the things that she was saying, I'll make you, and all these things just sounded very villainous to me. Hook and Emma both get pretty angry when they're separated from each other like this. (laughs) So it's kind of a codependency then. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Just so we're clear. (laughs) But uh, but this this will go on. Every time there was a, a threat going from any character to another in this in this episode in particular, it it made me cringe. And it happened with Emma and it happened again later with uh with Gold. Mm-hmm. And it was it was just that kind of oh, I, and I guess yeah, you're right. It's it's that that doesn't follow the rules for the good guys. Yeah, and I don't have to drag it out. Really, multiple times, what we'll see throughout this episode is Emma threatening to kill Gideon and Snow mm-hmm. backing her up without yeah. qualification yeah. or hesitation. Well, because it's mother daughter bonding, right? Oh, so where's the where is the episode after episode of, oh, if you kill, heroes don't kill. That'll darken your heart. That's what I never wanted for Henry. He's going to kill. He's going to kill. Yeah. No, don't kill. Oh, I killed in self-defense. My heart's darkened. What in the world? Oh, I hated all of that, frankly. But they've brainwashed us in the context of the show to believe all of it. And now they turn around and they're back. It's like they snapped out of it. But we haven't. It doesn't make sense for us now to hear Emma and especially Snow advocating killing the one villain who has the best chance of being just a little bit misguided and being able to be brought back. And to make things more complicated, Matthew Paul reminds us of the family relationship here. Gideon (laughs) is in a way Emma's (laughs) brother-in-law. She didn't marry Neil, I know, but Gideon is Neil's brother. He is, at the very least, Henry's uncle. Yes. If you can't say anything more definite than that, that's what he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, and, yeah, he has been manipulated and controlled and lied to yeah. for, from his perspective, his entire life, his entire 28 years. The fact that they're not even considering it because he's deceived them two times and tried to kill Emma when... Everyone else, no matter how dark they've been, including Evil Queen Part 2. In fact, just, just Snow didn't believe that Evil Queen, or as I now call her, Rhonda, could be (laughs) redeemed. And she was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. No, it's it's very frustrating (laughs) because Gideon, Gideon is the one person who has a real excuse for not having any good left in him at all. Because he's been manipulated and and abused from before he has memories. And we could say that maybe there's a sign that he does have good even because he wants to defeat Black Fairy. Mm -hmm. Although even that could have been a lie. Well, he does. Oh, you're saying like when he was talking with Roderick? 
because we now know that his heart, that she has his heart, and she told him to kill Emma. Yeah. But he was saying to Rumpel and Belle when he first showed up that he wanted to kill Emma so that he could take her power and go defeat the Black Fairy. Was that a lie from the Black Fairy <sighs> to Shroud? Or is that what they wrote originally and now they've already mm. kind of changed it? That's that's a very fair question. Uh, the way mm-hmm. we've seen it in the past, when someone has someone else's heart and is controlling them, it seems like you could send them on a particular path. You didn't have to actively control them. It's right. just kind of like you give them a command and they go and do it and go about following your general wish that's associated with that command. And So he could say to, to Rumpel and, and Belle, I want to do this and I want to defeat the Black Fairy. Well, I'm saying that if he said that, if we're being consistent with what we, it seems we've seen with heart magic and chat room, you're welcome to correct me here. uh, That seems like his saying that is still in accordance with the Black Fairy's wishes of what she wants him to say because she put Mm -hmm. him on this path. But then again, we've seen him do some things in this episode, even that seem like that connection of his being controlled by her wasn't there like when he was there in the clock tower later on saying i'm sorry i failed you i couldn't bring you here well he wouldn't be saying that if he was being actively controlled right black Mm -hmm. fairy i think he's been more on the autopilot side of yeah things now maybe it's even a little bit different because he is the son of a dark one so maybe that limits the power it's kind of like holding the dark one dagger where when you hold the dark one dagger you have to directly command the dark one for something. And the dark one can try to resist, but they basically can't. Now we saw Merlin resist True. Uh, when he was being controlled by, when he's, he was tethered to the, da- the dagger, the sword, all of that. But that, okay, we can ex- consider him an exception. So maybe there have been some autopilot things, or maybe it's more that thing where, it's kind of a threat level that black fairy commanded him and he knew he had to do it and he's doing it. But along the way, he does have a little bit of free will to be able to do some other things. Yeah. She got him to say that some part of him always wants to help, but he could have just been saying that. True. It's, it's a little muddy. Some yeah. of that motivation is a little muddy. And it can be a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome coming in, too. For sure. He calls her mother. Yeah. He made it very yeah. clear that she wasn't his mother when he was young. Yeah. And then after, yeah. I guess, she broke him with the Roderick thing, the next scenes we saw much later, but still everything after that, he called her mother. Well, and here in Gold's shop, he said that the black fairy basically tortured him for 28 years, not Mm -hmm. for his childhood, for his Mm -hmm. entire life. He was being tortured Mm -hmm. by her. Yep. Yep. I also thought it was fascinating because I missed it when I, when I first watched the episode, I was watching it on an iPad and I think the, the brightness must've been down (laughs) because when I back, when I went back and I was watching it again on the, the computer screen, um, he's a crier and the scenes where he was crying were surprising to me because I had, I had thought different motivations were at play underneath, but his, his tears on his face made me stop and go, Ooh, Hmm. well now 
as and I wrote it in the notes, my head has now completely exploded. I mm. don't know whether to trust him. I don't know when to trust him. I don't know what's going on. And it's it's all because he's so sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> but if if they're if the, the work that they're trying to do is make me unsettled in whether I can trust him or not, then they're being very effective. I liked that when Snow and Emma go to Rumples. Uh, first, Emma Emma's dress is a bit odd to see her in something like that. A dress or a coat? Dress coat. I think it's a coat, coat dress. Yeah. Drote. Yeah. But it's red. <laughs> and it's kind yes. of her warrior red. So she is ready to kick butt. So after years that. of tank tops and the one red leather jacket with a few exceptions, suddenly... Every time she changes her clothes, it's a topic of conversation, like in the chat room, I imagine in the forums. She had a dress on. Yeah, she was wearing that one floral thing for weeks because it was all like the same day and night. And at least it's a red coat. It makes sense for her. One of the sites I like to reference when I'm doing my research about different episodes is uh, the Wikia for Once Upon a Time. And they'll have some interesting pop culture references in there, certain things that I might not catch, like the title of this episode having come from some famous singers, pop singers song. Sorry, Ro- I Rolling Stones. Yes, Rolling Stones. That's right, because Kitsis and Horowitz are fans of the Rolling Stones. Um, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't know that, but uh, I saw that in the Wikia. Well, one of the other things that the Wikia often points out is the exact clothing model or, or something, oh, item... Wow that someone is wearing it's like you know this is the the gucci whatever that's no longer available for sale or something like that. that's like that's like when they when they talk about female politicians and well she was wearing a pantsuit or today yeah. she was wearing <laughs> it's the signature one from Saks Fifth Avenue, which they stopped selling in 2007. <laughs> if you've wanted to dress like the characters from Once Upon a Time, go look at the Once Upon a Time Wikia, and you'll be able to find some of the exact articles of clothing that if you're able to hilarious. buy those anymore. Most of them, I find, say they're not available for sale anymore. So they're changing her wardrobe so often so that when the series is done, they'll have some stuff to auction off and make a little extra money. That could be there very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Back to this scene, one of the things I really appreciated is that they didn't really drag it out with Rumple keeping it a secret that he was related to the Black Fairy. He just, right. oh yeah, yeah that's my boy. mother. Let me drop that bomb for a moment. Boom. Yeah. Yeah, that was great though. And this was where the bulk of what we were talking about was Emma saying, I'm done with nice and Snow backing her up on the whole killing thing. Yeah. I thought Emma sounded kind of arrogant in this scene. Yeah. Frankly, Rumple's warning her. About Black Fairy, she says, says, I think I can handle it. It's like Emma thinks she's indestructible now because of all the things. So first she's afraid and shaking. And maybe this is the point. I almost hope that it is. Yeah. She, she overcomes the shakes and she defeats Gideon, which she thought was her fate. And now she's invincible. Now she thinks she can handle anything. And yeah, maybe that's called hubris, man. If they now, if they are carefully building that and putting mm-hmm. it there on purpose, now I think Snow should maybe say something and not just go along with it, unless it's something that involves both of them. But if they're building this on purpose and it's actually going to come back to bite her, that's kind of cool in a storytelling yeah. sense. But if they think that she just sounds tough, then they're kind of missing the mark. I think. Don't forget, a couple seasons ago, or a few seasons ago. 
when Emma came into Gold's shop and threatened to punch his face in. (laughs) (laughs) So her bursting into his shop and making some demand and a threat is not new. It's not. It is a little pre-character development, Emma. But at the same time, like I said, I just go back and forth. And I, I honestly almost feel brainwashed. Because I'm like, I'm not really against defending yourself and your family and being tough. But they've got me thinking that these people should never, ever do what it takes to defend themselves against someone who is bent on their destruction. Hmm. They should always find the third way. I mean, they've been preaching it week after week, and then suddenly that's off. And I feel, I can't help but feel that it was all a setup to have a conflict between Emma and Rumpel to start that part of the final battle. Mic drop. <laughs> oh, mm, is that, did I just uncover an Easter egg? <laughs> I don't know. Final battle. Mic drop. <laughs> Interesting. Hashtag mic drop. Hashtag final battle. <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> Here in the shop is when uh, we learned something Interesting. Uh, and chronologically in the episode, this is when we hear it for the first time. If she should break free for good. I think I can handle it. I handled you. I broke your curse. The one you gave to Regina that started this whole mess. Well, that's just the thing, Miss Swan. The curse. That dark curse. It and all of the darkness you've ever faced was born out of one twisted soul. The Black Fairy. Now, I wasn't quite clear on this in the initial reactions, uh, what exactly was said. So the dark curse clearly born from the Black Fairy's work. Uh, And we've got some theories about why later on. So we'll save that for later. But also all the darkness Emma has faced. Which I think he's saying, like when when we draw conclusions backwards and we say who's responsible for everything that followed... If we were to say that Rumpel was responsible for everything that then happened with Regina and that happened with the curse and everything else, then if the Black Fairy is responsible for the way he turned out, in a sense, and for the Dark Curse, then yes, she is kind of the origin of that. And I'm kind of okay with this because we theorized for a long time because there were questions about the origin of the curse that they've had in the story all along that I don't think were ever answered we have always theorized that there was maybe some other entity or villain or force that was even bigger than Rumpel that was sort of behind everything in one way or another. Okay, I've got to read this epic theory now because theory. this relates with what you're saying. This Will you came... be dropping the mic at the end because I need to I was going to say hashtag epic theory. for that startling. No. Okay. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. This is from Sci-Fi Girl. She posted this in our forums at com. She said, as far as the curse and the Black Fairy's fixation on Emma, I feel like the dots connect up in an interesting way. This might be a little scattered, but stick with me. So, Black Fairy was banished to that realm. She was banished by Blue Fairy. Anyway, the banishment probably meant that she was tethered to that realm by magic and could not leave it for long. So the sword did not exactly open a portal, but instead cut the bonds tethering her to that realm. Similar language to what we know about the sword before, that it makes very deep cuts. It cuts bonds in different ways. That sword was made by the Blue Fairy, 
Black Fairy was tethered by Blue's magic, and it was Blue's magic combined with Savior magic that freed her, her being the Black Fairy, that is. Done by blood, undone by blood. <laughs> Oops, wrong show, she says. Done by Blue, undone by Blue. But she couldn't do that until there was a Savior. Did she try with Aladdin? Is that why he had the Savior shakes? If so, then Jafar actually stopped the Black Fairy back then by giving Aladdin the shears. Okay, so how did Black Fairy know about Emma as the Savior in the first place? Let's try this. Black Fairy wants to use magic to free herself from the Dark Realm. How does she go about doing this? First, she makes the Dark Curse, which is designed to transport folks to another realm. Does she use this to escape? No. And she probably never planned to. There's probably nothing she loves enough, or at least nothing she is willing to sacrifice. Instead, she leaves the curse out for someone else to use. Now, what exactly does the curse do? It transports people and places them under a curse. And at the same time, it creates a savior who is destined to break that curse. So, Black Fairy creates the Dark Curse, which, when used by another, gives someone, Emma, Savior Powers. Savior Powers are what Black Fairy needs to steal in order to escape. She creates the curse, the curse creates a Savior, and then she uses Emma to escape. So, this is me talking now. Great, great theory, sci-fi girl. (laughs) When Rumpel says, all the darkness you faced, he could actually mean all of it. That this all started from her. Can I put out a sub-theory? Yeah. Based on something that occurred to me while you were reading that? She said, there's probably nothing that the Black Fairy loves. What if in order to cast whatever curse is next, for whatever her purposes are, she needs something, she needs the heart of the thing she loves most, but there isn't anything. So she took a precious son to become the thing that she loves most mm. so that she can take his heart and enact mm. the curse. Interesting. He can serve two purposes. First, he can help her escape, and then to cast her curse, she needs the heart of the thing she loves most, which should be by now him. Mm. That's mad evil, yo. <laughs> Here's another theory. Aaron said, Rumpel told Emma all the darkness you've ever faced was born under one twisted soul, the Black Fairy. So does that mean she created the Dark One powers? I think she did. And she cursed the Holy Grail before Nimue drank from it with plans to turn herself into the first Dark One. If she created the darkness, she indirectly turned her son into a beast, which basically makes her the Enchantress from Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> well, now let's be careful. I'm going to give a superlative <laughs> warning. All is a superlative and Eddie and Adam can't resist superlatives, but yeah, they true. don't always pan out to be quite to the depth that we expect. Gareth said, since the Black Fairy created the original Dark Curse, I think we can assume that she is interested in taking away people's happy endings. Perhaps this once happened to her. I imagine that for the final battle, mic drop, (laughs) she is working on a new improved version of the Dark Curse. She might be planning to snuff out the light like the Dark Ones did or take away everyone's happy endings like Regina. The new Dark Curse might send everyone to the Dark World. 
If the new dark curse requires the heart of the thing you love most, it might mean the death of Gideon, Uh like you were suggesting, Jeremy. Mm -hmm. All that being said, I think the new dark curse might somehow turn light magic into dark magic. This would be a creative way to hurt the heroes, and the Black Fairy seems to like that. Thank you for that great feedback, Sci-Fi Girl, Gareth, and Aaron. Oh, my poor little brain. Mm Mm-hmm. You remember when I used to say that some of the theories that people came up with were too complicated and they wouldn't make it into the show? I don't I don't say that anymore because some very, very convoluted things have happened and yeah. do continue to happen. Yeah. And yet some of the best theories have not happened. That is true. We've had some really good story resolutions in mind that ended up being solved by a vial of magic. Hashtag hire the nerd. <laughs> meanwhile regina is in her vault trying to break the sleeping curse uh, with that big cauldron of potion yeah and her list of the things that she already broke yeah was interesting (laughs) dr doolittle out of his cage don't ask (laughs) but i want to (laughs) Uh, but the town line's not protected now yeah so technically people can come and go again well and Isaac was able to drive out with a minivan. Nothing oh, magical true. there. That's that, and that. Would yeah, be they the purpose they made quick work of of fixing that particular problem early in the episode and without us seeing it. And did that you catch well that done. she mentioned she got the dragon out of the mirror realm? Yes. Oh yeah, I, I completely forgot what dragon she was talking about. Yep. Yeah, she freed him. Nice, and presumably returned his heart. So she's just like undoing all kinds of magic or bad things. Everything except the big one. Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't really that bad. I mean, it's sad, but, you know, they're both still able to be awake at different times. <laughs> and that will have to be resolved before the end of the season. I'm, I'm pretty sure they will resolve that. I mean, we've got five episodes left. They can resolve a lot of things in five episodes. Well, yeah, especially yeah. if you can just talk about it later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that have been terrible if she was just like, well, I'm not sure. I guess I'm going to go canoeing because I've done everything. I got the Charmings out of their sleeping curse and Dr. Doolittle is free. So it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. But Henry starts his freaky ghost writing. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. He's a ghost writer when he does that. That was creepy looking. That was like Game of Thrones moment. And we'll talk more about some of the things he was writing in a little bit as we get to that spot in our notes. When Emma found Gideon in the clock tower, uh, there was a lot of, there was some weird stuff there in kind of what she was saying. When I first, when we first saw it, I thought that what she was saying about, oh, look at that clock ticking away now. I thought she was being cocky again. At 8.15, by the way. Yeah. Well, it started at 8.15 when she arrived, and then she was kind of like, yeah, hmm. I came to town, and it just starts moving again. Look at that. That's how I took it. But the look on her face, I think what they were going for was, look, Emma and Gideon are just chatting now and not trying to kill each other, and she's just reminiscing. I don't know. That was weird. But what I actually found most interesting about the scene was that Rumpelstiltskin's son said, we have a deal. Mm. Now, he did not say it with the integrity with which his father would say it. Integrity? Well, tricky though they may be, yeah. hidden costs though they may have, Rumpelstiltskin's deals are deals. That's true. 
and Gideon's was not a deal. Yeah. But at yeah. least he hands over the sword. Which made my head explode. <laughs> wow. That may have been the first one. I wanted to trust him at that moment, but I couldn't. Hmm. But he hadn't cried yet, so that's probably part of it. <laughs> I think that uh, I think that I trusted him in the sense of I trusted him and not the people writing his actions. <laughs> I, I thought he was making a genuine change, but I was a little dubious as to whether that change should be happening, and that continued at the mansion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and at the mansion, the obvious intersection of strong magic, it's imbued with much magic. <laughs> Remember, it's at the mansion where they had the portal that took Elsa and Anna back to Arendelle. So it makes sense that they would also be able to make some other portal here, but the intention was never to make a portal to get to Hook. The intention was to entrap Emma and bring Spidey out. Now, Emma highlighted how much magic it takes to create a portal but they walk in and there's the door because because yeah. it. Well, they'd already made it yeah they i guess they just cut for time yeah but she was also yeah, didn't she like, just say oh. like impressive yeah she was like wow good job kind of <laughs> kind of a feeling <laughs> i liked this moment initially because it mm-hmm. felt super freaky mm. and by this moment i specifically mean the book starting to move now gideon's face was pretty surprised Mm-hmm. when Emma was not looking directly at him. And I don't know how to feel about that because since it seemed to be deception, I don't know if he really should have had that look on his face. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. The candle did fall over and burn the napkin with the tear. Yes. Was that significant? Right? Probably. That should be. It's liquid. So <laughs> it was liquid at one point and now it's burnt. I mean, yeah. we didn't see it in cinders. Well, uh, Gideon did say later that it's impossible for Hook to return. So maybe that's because this tear is burned. But then again, if the tear is burned, then wouldn't that mean that there's nothing actually preventing Hook from coming back? That was what I would have thought. That was what was preventing it, right? Yeah. He said, as as long as I have this. Yeah. The tears of the Savior. And now he doesn't. Okay. I love looking very closely at screenshots to see what stories are written on things or what instructions and stuff. Okay. And most of the time, you know, what we see in the storybook is the golden bird. It's uh, red, uh, ruby red and snow white or different stories. We tend to see the same few stories. Most of the time, it's the golden bird on that curse or that uh, the spell to break the curse that was rolled up and Gideon said, this is the, the way that you can bring Hook back. And that's what they laid out on the left side on the table. The text on it, no joke. It's Lorem Ipsum. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> that is so awesome. So for the first time they, uh, that we've been able to catch, all it, and Lorem Ipsum, if you're not familiar, it's a made-up kind of language. And anyone who works with design in some way is able to d- use this. And they're Lorem Ipsum generators. It actually and, means something, doesn't it? I don't think it's so. Latin. It's yeah. it's Latin, but I think it's gibberish Latin. Okay. I didn't think oh. it ever meant anything. It was just using the letters the so that you got uh, all the letters represented so you could see what the text looked like. And so you can have text to work with. If you're a designer, mm-hmm. if you're working on a web page, a print design, something like that, <laughs> you need some text to fill in the spaces so you can have things. 
And it is actually lorem ipsum. It starts off with lorem ipsum and then whatever follows that. That's hilarious. I love it. I wonder I, I wonder if somebody lost their job or got praised. You know, they really probably don't expect people to freeze frame <laughs> it and try and read everything. Or they else they would put now. more than the golden bird. Yeah. For one thing, they, well, they do true. tend to expect it now. And the other thing is that usually, from what I've observed, the set dressers like to have, or the prop designers like to have a lot more fun than that. Yeah. They must well, have yeah. been in a hurry. <laughs> they often put their own name on things. Maybe this is their way of having fun with it, though. Because everybody's yes. looking so close. <laughs> yes. And, and Emma, the, uh-huh, here. Emma isn't a graphic <laughs> designer, so maybe this is kind of like... Gideon's joke on her because this whole thing is really just a ruse or maybe Emma is actually oh, casting hilarious. the curse that brings the spider to them that's awesome. and so he maybe this is like a hidden designer joke that he created this thing and Emma has no idea it's just lorem ipsum this thing that everyone on the internet or designers know what it is or yeah. see it all the time she just thinks okay yeah sure this is this is the curse okay <laughs> so am I supposed to read this lorem ipsum it's like what what is it in in evil dead the Clatu de Barada Nicto. <laughs> that is from. Uh, oh, what is that from? Um, the day the earth stood mankind. still. Yes, oh. thank you. Clatu Barada Nicto. Yeah, I I liked the spider bursting through. I liked that being. Yeah. In my head, at the moment, it was a just a taste of what Black Fairy could do. Yeah. And I thought that mm-hmm. was amazing. Mm-hmm. The truth was not quite as exciting. Because it wasn't spontaneous and it wasn't necessarily just her at all. Mm. Yeah, but ew, it was a big spider. Ew. And it yeah. burst through on the <laughs> yes. picture in the page of her handsome hero where it was the spider. Mm. It was a spider picture uh, and the spider was bursting through oh, right nice. there on the picture. That's awesome. Because irony. No, that was great. And I thought, I just, I thought that entire effect was so well done. Yeah. Because it made me go, ew. Yeah. Now, as they're running from the spider, this is a part where I had some serious problems with characters and dialogue, but it turned out to not be true. So that kind of redeems it in Mm -hmm. retrospect. As he was saying, she was going, so you were just trying to kill me because you thought this is what would happen? He's like, yeah, it seemed like a good idea at the time. (laughs) Like, oh, gosh, that is weak. But he also wasn't genuine in that. That yeah. is, a, He actually literally had just told her what he was actively trying to do. So it, it was okay in the end. <laughs> and they didn't just summon the spider from somewhere. They created it. He Well, he, he said it. he created he, it. He said he yeah. created it. She later kind of sounded like it was her idea, at least. Huh. So that was confusing-ish. But probably not that important, other than the idea that they could conjure a creature like that instead of Ew. having to find it and once it's defeated it's defeated i mean who's to say they couldn't do it again mm-hmm. maybe three of them running around storybrook oh are you gonna have nightmares heather then you'd yeah, have to call the starship <laughs> troopers to come defeat the bugs <laughs> <laughs> who are you gonna call starship troopers now also though so the spider itself was pretty cool mm-hmm. However, the interaction between the spider and Emma, particularly in the most important moment when it was wrapping her in web. Yeah. Was that not the worst effect in the history of Once Upon a Time? She was sitting, she was literally on the ground, rolling herself over and over. The spider was clearly shown to be in another room. Yeah. Not even able to reach her. 
Now, once she was wrapped, it was fine. And it was dragging her in and it was creepy. And the fact that the sword was starting to do stuff it was only supposed to do when she died made it kind of chilling. But the she wrapping, was starting to die, suffocating or yeah. being squeezed or something by the, the web. The wrapping mm-hmm. was kind of a no. I wish I could remember who, but when it was airing live, somebody in our chat room said she was getting Frodo'd. <laughs> <laughs> it's a verb! Which would have been, I think they, they, it would have been cool if they could have literally achieved that with the spider over her, yeah. wrapping her up. Yes. Which it looked, they made the spider make motions like it was on top of her, but then it wasn't. It was in a totally different room. I thought that was a little strange. Yeah. But, but, the, but the scene was good enough that it still... Freaked me out a little bit. Maybe they decided that for the spider to actually be over her, wrapping her, was a bit too traumatic. Because remember, they're airing this on Sunday night. It's supposed to be a family show. They went to the underworld. Go ahead and be traumatic with the giant spider. (laughs) There are certain lines that maybe they decide we can't cross this because this would make it PG-13 territory. They threw Mila into the River of Lost Souls. That's emotionally traumatic. (laughs) That's not like scary looking traumatic. (laughs) No, if the spider had actually been over her, that would have been it for me. I would have had to write you, Daniel, and say, I'm sorry, uh, I cannot talk about this episode. (laughs) There are certain crazy rules in uh, the ratings. (laughs) Certain things like, um, for a while, I'm not sure if it's still this way, but I do remember once reading that a judo kick to the head made something rated R. Mm, yeah, I think I remember something like Certain that. Certain things like wow. that. And I remember from a video game perspective, if it said uh, or it, something would be rated T for teen, if it was destruction to realistic looking objects. Destruction what didn't make it rated T. It was realistic looking objects. And so because that spider did look pretty, I mean, not the best, I know. But pretty good for Once Upon a Time graphics with Uh the spider. Um, Maybe a bit too scary for a Sunday night TV show. Well, okay, but you still don't have it manipulate something that it can't physically touch. I know. (laughs) I'm just saying. That's true. But it's a step up from the Sega Genesis hockey that first came out where (laughs) there was blood on the ice and it was an 8-bit game. So that looked a little weird. (laughs) But that was the big deal. Maybe it's like a force choke. Maybe the spider is magical and it was it was just moving its little arms, but it was like like it was Emma controlling or Regina her. could do. It was like yeah, it was moving her from a distance with magic, not with web actually. Or that arms. reminds me. That's actually what I thought was well. That that isn't what I thought was happening. But the when the first time I watched it, when the spider first broke through, I thought that was how Black Fairy was coming in. Yeah. Oh, like it was her. Was that she found a way to, by, by shape-shifting or transforming herself, to get a, you know, run a, a huh. fast fast one around the end and come in that way. And I did think that the spider was using weird magic. Interesting. It would have been great if it just stuck up one of its little arm things <laughs> and had a little fireball <laughs> for a second. A little, little purple, purple ball there going, mm. <laughs> The spider's name is Rhonda. <laughs> Rhonda's back. Hashtag Rhonda the spider. <laughs> but so wonderful of Rumple to show up at just the right moment and save the day. Did he seem genuinely concerned for Emma's well-being? I think a little bit. I think he did. He sounded, he had a sound in his voice that was not only we can't let Black Fairy through. Mm-hmm. And then the weird sight of the evening, Emma 
and Rumple using their powers together. True. Which I don't think we've ever seen them stand by side side by side. And like she's doing her thing and he's got the dagger out. It was weird. Mm-hmm. Was his dagger just Almost like cool, giving her a power up so that her <laughs> her magic was strong enough at that point? I know they because were kind of, he didn't seem almost, to be doing much. <laughs> right? It was like they were like, well, Rumple should help, but there's no visual precedent for doing <laughs> anything with the dagger, so we're not going to make anything come out of it. We're just gonna. He's just gonna magic it. Moral support. <laughs> Use your imagination. Yeah. No more some pig from you, Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> I love that line but what a solemn uh, line when Emma spoke to Rumple. your son can't be saved he's evil and to which I say pshaw Emma he doesn't even have evil in his name <laughs> evil queen was evil yeah come on where have you been living <laughs> Have you been living the same life I've been watching? Maybe she wasn't paying as much attention. Maybe not. As you. She was really distracted. There were <laughs> engagements. There were ended engagements. Were rings to find. There were deaths and then not deaths. Alternate <laughs> universes. She's been busy. Not to mention the clothes that she has to change in and out of. Yeah, she has to pick her it's wardrobe exhausting. very carefully too. Do I feel like battling today? <laughs> Does this requ- does this day require red, or can I go with a floral motif? I still I have to say again, it cracks me up that they gave us backstory on the freaking jacket and called it her armor, and then she ceased to ever wear it uh, after that moment. Yeah, yes, we might. I think it might be something Saved that makes it for its the appearance. final battle. Yeah, and <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> Believe it or not, that was not intentional on my part. Uh huh. And speaking of not intentional, Henry mm. wakes up from his writing, his very unintentional writing, and uh, I got some screenshots of what he was writing. The only thing I can recognize of what's there is there's an eye that looks kind of like the all-seeing eye in some ways. We'll have screenshots in the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 291. There was also a rabbit. <laughs> I don't know. So a little bunny rabbit? But... Some of our listeners uh, in the forums posted and mentioned that it looks like Greg shorthand, which is a particular style of shorthand, a very popular style of shorthand. And I couldn't really get a translation completely. And shorthand is like completely a different language to me. It's uh, even worse than cursive is to me. You should see tomorrow's <laughs> shorthand. But what uh, someone had pointed out is that one symbol looked like maybe the word fearing or feeling. But the rest of it, if you can translate it, please comment on the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 291. So it's like a personality test. Yeah. (laughs) Sensing, fearing. (laughs) If this symbol is to that symbol, which of the following is to which of the following? Everybody's going to have SAT flashbacks do you think they should have taken something that seems author related is mysterious and powerful to the author and let him see the message in its entirety Mm. i don't think there's a layer that we didn't see there but i kind of also felt like could you possibly have just given isaac 
information that he's not letting you know he now has, but mm. he now has the recipe to do a thing. Oh. Like, or he knows something. I like that theory. Hmm. <laughs> it was at least a risk that they took. There was so much hooray yeah. for me oh. with this because we got to go back into the basement. We saw Nurse Ratchet again. We saw the, the Indian guy again, or Native American guy again. And we saw, of course, Isaac again. Great to see the author. That's that's a lot of fun. He's great, the right word. Yes. It was fun, actually. I will say He's it creepy. was fun. He is creepy. He is creepy. I don't like to say that about actors, but he's creepy. Oh, you mean the actor? I mean, I mean everything he's ever been in that I've seen him in. He's creepy. <laughs> Hashtag he's creepy. <laughs> Hashtag bring him back for the final battle and kill him. Wow. <laughs> Mic drop. No, he really, he really, really does. He's he has spooked me, and I don't have an explanation for that mm. at all. But I think, I mean, he was marvelous casting does in this in Mad Men. <laughs> Did you see a battle, a specific day? Tell me more. No, he's great. He's great. But, um, but you. And I was glad. I was really, really glad to see them go back to him, and and also to get him out of Storybrooke. In our chat room, ACP says plot twist: the Indian guy is the real savior. <laughs> Goodness. Or the real author, at least. Yeah, Nurse Ratchet has been plotting her revenge on everyone there in the basement in in one flew over the cuckoo's nest isn't big chief the only one who escapes at the oh, end know. actually I've, spoiler wow sorry actually the final scene is from the hilltop overlooking storybrook <laughs> the whole town just goes into this magical implosion and disappears and he comes in his scrubs, trapes over the hill, looks back, sighs in relief, and wanders off toward Boston. He and, for Jeff Roney's sake, Hat Man, or Cap Man, I think is what Jeff Roney called him. A guy, an extra that's in oh. Granny's Diner, like, all the time. All the time. Oh, so he could get out, too? Yes. Cool. Yeah, the they get out together and then go then start it's a buddy picture. <laughs> they start a hat shop. Yeah, I don't know what's up with the bunny. Uh, there could be other things, too, that I just couldn't recognize. But you're welcome to look at the screenshots we have in the show notes. Give us your own uh, explanation, <laughs> your own interpretation, yes. or actual translation. That Please would be really cool. Please go symbol by symbol and translate this message for us <laughs> however you see fit. Maybe we can read some of them on the air. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the Sorcerer's Mansion... Since they can't go to Granny's, they stay there at Sorcerer's Mansion for their little debriefing. And uh, Gideon is accomplishing what the evil queen couldn't actually do. You know what that is? He's causing them to tear yourselves (laughs) apart. (laughs) Is Gideon doing it or is Black Fairy doing it? True. Black Fairy is controlling Mm -hmm. Gideon. So Gideon is literally her puppet. Well, maybe not literally, maybe but not literally. magically her puppet. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly literally. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and still here in this scene, they're setting up this tension between sort of Rumple and I guess by association Belle and specifically Emma and Snow. But you get the sense they represent sides mm-hmm. of a possible battle or a multifaceted battle. And it just, that's where 
not as much as some storylines, but it feels contrived because we still have Emma and Snow dead set on Gideon cannot be redeemed and we must kill him, which just for years does not make sense. And so I feel like it's just because plot again and because they keep switching off writers for each episode, they could totally soften their tone next week. Which mm-hmm. is also kind of irritating, but may not happen if they really want this battle thing to pick up. But there again, it just doesn't make sense. No, it was really irksome because it's another one of those things where we've seen them so often come up with some kind of plan to to find the Kobayashi Maru, to find the way around. And and here's Gideon and we get his backstory. They don't. And it's it's it was really irksome to watch yeah. both times that Emma and Gold went up against each other antagonistically, not when he was un, unveiling her from the spider's web. But no. but the other two conversations did they did bug me. Unlike some, Gideon knows that she has his heart. Right. So is there an unwritten or an unspoken rule that you are not allowed to reveal to others that your heart's been taken? It seems to be the case. They seem to never be able to quite communicate that they're under someone else's control, even though he was able to say it to her. Mm-hmm. He said... Is that true? Has nobody else ever been able to say, woman's got my heart, man? Yeah, it's hard because, like, Graham didn't know. Graham didn't know. They all didn't know. That's the thing. I mean, Graham had a feeling that his heart was missing, but he didn't know exactly what it was. Right. We. I feel like we've seen someone who knew. Was it... But they were under total control. Well, the people who pulled their own hearts out knew they did. Right. Yeah, we hadn't had a good heart ripping in a while, so (laughs) we were kind of due. And it is one of Adam and Eddie's basic tenets of writing. So they got to rip someone's heart out, either ours or a character's on screen. (laughs) It's so cool when you get to see that, though. I loved the effect of cutting the portal to bring the black fairy through mm. while Emma while Emma is dying and Dachshund is there rejoicing, hoping that this is the way she dies. <laughs> but we got some interesting theories about black fairies, some other additional theories. Uh, Golthera said, how about if the black fairy wants to die? She's at least several hundred years old, according to the clocks in the Enchanted Forest and our realm. Time in her realm runs so much faster, though, that from her point of view, she's millions of years old. A long and healthy life is good, but imagine being cursed with eternal youth. Oh, imagine it. Gee. No, <laughs> I don't mean to make fun. Oh, She does not speak like someone who wants to die. People who want to die are not usually concerned with ownership, and everything in the black realm is hers. Shared benevolently with Gideon because he <laughs> is to be the thing she loves most. And Meredith of Everett, Washington said the Black Fairy is definitely the villain of all villains. She makes both Cora and Peter Pan look like model parents by comparison. Wow. And <laughs> Meredith suggests this theory. We also found out that the Black Fairy actually invented the Dark Curse. How much do you want to bet that she'll try to reenact it again? After all, why is she collecting all that dark Black Fairy dust? Uh, Why else would she want to get rid of Emma so badly? 
I don't think it was just to open the portal. She doesn't want the curse to be broken. Mm, yes. Her explanation, by the way, and this is where some of my sword confusion came from. When she said what was going to happen, she said, the sword, once Emma's dead, the sword will do what it must and release her. Why is that what the sword must do? Where was that established? I think uh, earlier on in the season when the Blue Fairy was talking about the sword, uh, when they realized that the sword could hurt the evil queen, or, or they were talking about finding a sword. Well, it's odd because I don't recall the sword ever being mentioned to be tied to the Black Fairy in any way, mm-hmm. or to her banishment, and certainly mm-hmm. not tied to Emma's life force or whatever. So I don't know how Emma's death affects the sword so profoundly, and I don't know. It, it was as if the sword automatically knew, oh, Emma's dead? Savior's dead? I guess I better release Black Fairy now. That mm. Well, one of the theories we got, and I, I actually didn't copy it into the notes, but um, someone suggested or pointed out that, remember, this was the sword that Beowulf had, and he, the sword supposedly made a hero of people. Hunting, that is. <laughs> what if, and this is the suggestion, I think it was Matt, but the suggestion was the sword sucks the hero out of people around it and that's where it gets its power so if it sucks the hero out of the savior that's the ultimate power enough to cut a rip in across realms so its proximity to emma might cause it to grab her power from her but then its automatic reaction is to break into the dark realm or at least that's how the hero's weapon of light magic Well, she sounded like the thing was on autopilot and he didn't have to do anything. Mm. I would rather believe that he was able to turn it into a thing that could do that. Um, The way they phrased it was so weird to me. Maybe that whole spell Emma was trying to cast in order to get Hook wasn't anything to do with the spider. The spider was just something that he did with his magic right there. But that what Emma was doing was enacting the spell that would tether her to the sword in some way and it so was that, present uh yeah because she had the sword okay that, gideon had given her the sword in the clock tower and then they went to the mansion she was carrying the sword and he took it away Ooh. from her when she was caught in the web i could buy that see how i don't discount overly complicated theories anymore <laughs> sometimes they're the only thing that can explain <laughs> we'll go with that until they give us a different explanation yeah <laughs> yeah that one works at the town line, Isaac is ready to leave in a little minivan. <laughs> I like the joke about the Hamilton tickets. No one has that much magic in order to get Hamilton tickets. <laughs> and, of course, the last page in Henry's book is from the Golden Bird again. The license plate, though, on the minivan is a neat little clue. And Leslie also caught this. W.E.D. 1901. Walter Elias Disney, who was born Uh, in 1901. And they've said it in the show. Walt was one of the authors. (laughs) Right. And it was his death that caused the sorcerer to want to find another author. And that's when they found Isaac and hired him as the next author because Disney, Walt Disney had just died 
now they needed a new author. So it's kind of ironic uh, that he, that Isaac is driving away in a minivan that has the license plate with the name and birth date of the previous author on it. That's cool. It is cool. I like that. So now my absolute favorite part of the episode. Mm. It's the final chapter. Ah, so it is. The end of the story. Isaac, what happens at the end of the book? The Savior fights the final battle. And trust me, no one wants to be around to see that. The final battle! Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag end of story. Seriously, I am... I don't think I've been so excited about anything for a while because I think maybe every season I've talked about the final battle, wanting to see the final battle. Maybe this is a setup for the final battle. So maybe you've forgotten, but why does this matter so much to me? Because it was in season one, the pilot episode, when Snow and Charming went to see Stiltskin in his little prison cell. Here's what Rumpel said. The infant is our only hope. Get the child to save child to safety and on its 28th birthday the child will return the child will find you and the final battle will begin <laughs> mic drop oh my gosh i am i am going to go ahead and rain on your parade just a little bit <gasps> that is the same episode when snow said that the evil queen tried to kill her because she thought she was prettier yeah. They didn't totally know where the show was going. And I think in context, we all know what the final battle was supposed to be. It was the battle to break the dark curse and free everybody. And it did begin when Emma got to Storybrooke and stayed and the clock started ticking. The final battle began. And, and the and, thing is, the final battle was resolved in season one. Because we're saying it so much, I'm not going to keep dropping the mic Thank right you. now. <laughs> so, honestly... I'm only half excited to hear them bring up the final battle because I feel that it's sort of fan service because maybe they were surprised that people still remember this phrase and keep bringing it up. And so they're like, all right, let's give them a final battle. They all seem to want it. Yeah. uh, Meredith of Everett, Washington suggested uh, about the final battle that back in season one, uh, looking back at that and thinking about season two, Meredith said, rewatch the beginning of season two. Rumple knew that Regina wouldn't be able to do magic right away. He also knew there would be a lot of angry people wanting her dead. And he probably assumed that Snow and Charming would also be angry enough that they wouldn't protect her. So he assumed that there'd be a battle as soon as everyone remembered who Regina was. No one, including myself, predicted that Regina would ever make peace with the Charmings. So that might have been the battle he was referring to. Mm-hmm. Mm. When you use a phrase, though, with superlatives, like the final battle. Superlative warning. That just, it, it, it begs, not begs, it demands to be something big, something epic, I and know, something end of story. But all the terms of the dark curse were very superlative to begin with and they scaled back and they scaled back to the point where really a lot of the enchanted forest was left behind but it never was supposed to be it was supposed to infect 
affect the entire realm. If not, correct me if I'm wrong, did they not say all the realms? We theorized early on, we believed that the Dark Curse affected the Enchanted Forest Mm -hmm. and Wonderland and Neverland and everywhere because of the way they spoke about it. And later on, it was, nah, not really. But it did certainly pull people from those different realms. Yeah, I'm just saying. All the superlatives got limited later on. So I think they had a pretty clear meaning in the beginning and then they didn't. And now that creates opportunity for additional story. I think it'll be cool. I just don't think that it's at all what they had in mind Hmm. when the line was written. So that's why my excitement is tempered slash rainy cloud. (laughs) I'll be here smiling under my black storm cloud, just taking it in. But a final battle would be a great way to end a series. Yes. Yes. And not for a new series to be all about the final battle. I mean, a a battle... Do you mean a new season? uh, Yeah, a new season. Uh, A battle would make for a cool season, but I I don't want them to really stretch it out all that much. There is the theory that maybe there would be a half season, and that would be the end. And that would be like uh, season seven is... 11, 13 episodes, something like that. Mm -hmm. That's uh, Jacqueline's theory, and that's a popular theory out there. We don't know if Once Upon a Time will be renewed. Um, After our initial reactions last week, Aaron and I were talking about renewal and dates when people announced that Once Upon a Time was renewed. Last year, uh, we heard about the renewal for season six, the earliest ever. And that was that Adam Horowitz tweeted it back in March of that year. Mm -hmm. Most of the other years, we didn't learn about a renewal until either right after the end of the season or around the end of the season, like within a week or two before or after. So we may not find out. Now, I, Matthew Paul had a great point that if this is going to be the end of the series, it would be great to know as soon as possible so people can plan accordingly. So that, like, for our series or season finale party, if this is the true series finale, I think a lot more people would be interested in coming and visiting and coming to see the series finale with other oncers. But if it's only a season finale, okay, that's fun, but maybe not worth all the travel. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> it's very worth all oh, the yeah. travel. Yeah, it totally is, really. Besides, the way networks operate, just because it gets renewed does not mean it will finish its season. Yeah. That's true, too. It would almost be better to cancel with... Any time they cancel a show, it's better if the show is still filming. Mm-hmm. One episode is better than nothing to wrap things up, even if it's hurried. Yes. The more episodes they have, the better. And in fact, I still insist that a network should make a commitment to a Mm storyline and do all the shows, or at the very least, if you cancel a show, you will give them time to wrap it up. We will get a two-part season finale. So they can fit a lot of story into that. We've seen before. Or it can be totally disconnected, like most other years. Um, But what they might do, (laughs) and we saw them do this when they were leading into season four with Elsa, is that they brought the season to a close and then there was one little scene that they held on to. It was a secret. Almost no one knew about that scene. And they saved it and published it with the episode at the end of the season. That gave us the hook 
for the next season. It could be, uh, and they're, they're smart writers, so it could be that they've written this season finale as a series finale, but maybe they have some plan in their pocket that, okay, if we do get renewed, there's this other scene that we recorded already and we're holding on to it. And if we get renewed, we'll throw this scene in and that will be the hook for the next season. But if we don't use that scene, then everyone would be happy with the completion of an entire series. And am I right in assuming that that would be Lin-Manuel Miranda in that last clip that's being saved for for the end from Hamilton? <laughs> You'll have to explain that a little more. Extend the, extend the, <laughs> he's, he, well, he has a tie to Disney because not only did he write and star in Hamilton, but he wrote the music for Moana. Oh, okay. Huh. Well, that's cool. Didn't know that. Mm-hmm. You sounded really excited about that idea, but the thing is they did do it before. And yeah. in that season, Are you talking finale, about season three, the mid-season finale? You know, I almost can't remember. Because that was most beautiful season finale ever. And it was only the mid-season finale, no, in my opinion. I'm talking about the time-traveling finale. Two okay. hours, Hook and Emma in the past. They come back and honestly... Aside from Marion's return and the little Elsa thing they tacked onto the end, yeah, every story arc in the show was resolved at that moment. True, more or less, or you could imagine an easy path to happily ever after. For yeah, everybody. and Marion's return really mm-hmm. messed up a happy ever after. If they wanted to make that a series finale, bringing her back breaks that. Right. But it almost could have been edited without it. Maybe yeah. not quite, but <laughs> it wouldn't have mm. it wouldn't have killed everybody if the show had not gone on. And I felt that that was the intention. Mm. It could have not been, but yeah. When when a two hour finale gets advertised, it's been in the past a letdown when the story is when it turns out that instead of going wow, and we still got. X number of hours to see in the story. Where are they going to go? It turns out it's completely resolved the week before the finale, and then they yeah. go off and do some other two-hour special thing that is not relevant. Well, in the spoilers that you'll hear from Hunter and Jacqueline in a little bit after we wrap up this podcast episode, you might hear some information about the finale. I don't know because I, I don't listen to the. You may spoilers. have already heard it, and we <laughs> might just sound really. Serious. Yeah, you might know things <laughs> about the finale that we don't know. You probably do. Because we try and stay as spoiler-free as possible, which is pretty spoiler-free for us, uh, not even knowing episode titles many times. So there could be a different approach to this. The one thing, I think we all agree on this. I know many people want to see the show continue. Many want to see it end. Uh, Many people are comparing it to season one and the glory of season one and that we're not at that same level anymore. Regardless, I think the one thing we can all agree on is However they close this and whenever they close this, we want a good ending. Yes. We mm-hmm. don't want it to be canceled and like cut off, leaving us hanging. We yes. want a happy ever after. We want a something that it's a definite end of some sort. And we don't want a five second scene without dialogue showing us that they lived happily ever after, after some traumatic moment. And personally, I also don't Some want... Some people have experienced that after I, watching the show. <laughs> uh, Aaron, after our initial reactions recently, sent me a video clip of the series finale to Charmed. 
And what I don't want is a 10 minute longer than it should be finale scene sequence, Mm -hmm. which is what the end of Charmed was. 10 minutes longer than it should be. It was 10 minutes long. And it just really, really stretched out. But it was from, I don't know, 70s, 80s, something like that. So yeah, they didn't have their timing and and drama all figured out back then. Charmed in 70s or 80s? (laughs) 90s? At least. Okay. I didn't watch it, but I know that. It's not older than I am. <laughs> Basically, as Susan is saying in the chat room, no cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. No cliffhanger. No. Yeah. 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 We've been through too much. We've been through too much. There would have to be a mail-in campaign. ABC needs to just skip that whole mess. They're going to receive a lot of something. I don't know if it would be apples. That would be a cool <laughs> way to do it. Vipers? No, uh, they don't exist. So cool. um, no, that wouldn't be cool. But, you know. There, there are things that people could send them that would get the message that we at least needed a movie or several episodes to wrap the show up. So just skip all that. Just end the show nicely. Give the writers time to end it. Mm-hmm. And speaking of ending it, let's end this podcast discussion about Mother's Little Helper. If you want to continue the discussion, comment on something that we didn't say, share some ideas or anything like that, then please comment on the show notes at onespodcast.com slash 291. Or go to the forums at oncepodcast.com. Like there, you can comment to let me know that Charm actually ended in the 2000s and not in the 90s. Thank you, chat room, for pointing that out. You can continue the conversation. (laughs) You can talk about spoilers for upcoming episodes if you'd like. There are all kinds of things you can talk about in the forums. Or you can continue the conversation about this specific episode on the show notes. As well as share this episode out with your family and friends. We would love for you to connect with us on Twitter. At Once Podcast, and I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at the Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Phlegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. This podcast would not be possible without your support and our great team of volunteers and staff behind us. So special thanks to our whole team, Jack, for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers, Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums. Keb for masterminding our timeline, and my fellow co-hosts Jeremy, Aaron, Heather, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting this podcast with me. And until next time, good night, my little darlings. Mother has come to wish you sweet dreams. And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you would like to be a hero too, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero and you can help us win the final battle. Mic drop. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast, episode 617, Awake. Still trapped in Neverland, Hook aligns himself with Tiger Lily, hoping to find a way back to Emma. Back in Storybrooke, Regina works to break the sleeping curse that David and Snow are under, and Gold denies the Black Fairy, which brings the two of them to a fearsome impasse. 
In flashbacks, we learn what Snow and Charming sacrificed in order for Emma to fulfill her destiny as the savior. And this episode is written by Andrew Chambliss and Leah Fong and directed by Sharat Raju. Yeah. So a lot of storyline again. Uh-huh. And this press release, it's worth noting that until about two hours ago, we didn't <laughs> even have. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I feel as though they wrote this in a very hurried fashion. Uh-huh. It feels like it. Because first off, they spelled Storybrook wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and what on earth is gold denying the black fairy her son uh, sure i mean why not <laughs> and then <laughs> we learn what snow and charming sacrificed in order for emma to fulfill her destiny as the savior isn't that also known as season one i know like that just seems kind of weird isn't that actually like the pilot episode. <laughs> I'm not crazy, right? We, we no. saw Charming put her in a wardrobe after Snow gave birth and there was like a dark curse or something. I mean, I'm. We, this is how the show started. I, exactly. This is going to be... <laughs> this, I think, was someone just writing it to write it to get it out because people were annoying them. Yeah. Yeah. So, who knows? <laughs> we do have quite a few guest stars, though. Yes, we do. We have several of the dwarves back. It's been a while since we've seen them. Uh-huh. So we do have Grumpy and Sneezy, Doc and Sleepy, all played by their normal actors. We have Beverly Elliott as Granny. Raphael Sabarge is back as Dr. Archie Hopper. Tony Amendola is back as Geppetto, and we haven't seen him in a while. No. Jamie Murray is here as the Black Fairy. Giles Mathy as Gideon. McKenna Grace as Young Emma. Sarah Tomko as Native American woman slash Tiger Lily. I'm Why not, does she have two names? I have no idea. Like, she should only have the one because she's in Neverland. It's not like she's here. Right. She's in present day Neverland. I have no idea why they did that. <laughs> um, Eric Kenleyside as Sora Maurice or Mo French, who's Belle's father. And it's been quite a while since we've seen him. Uh-huh. And, and yeah, that, that's it. That's it. <laughs> so a lot of returning people that we haven't yeah. seen in a while and just a couple of new ones. Yes. So we didn't get much for this episode, guys. So we have no photos to talk about. We don't. We had to sit down and record. So I know it's like it's about time and we put it off as long as possible. But we did get a promo. A bizarre promo. Yeah. Yeah. Very bizarre. Bizarre promo. A lot of it focuses on Snow and Charming and mm-hmm. the fact that Regina and Zelina are working some kind of magic spell on them. Yeah. They did something with the hearts, I think. Yes. Because they share a heart, mm-hmm. if you guys don't remember. And they somehow have the hearts. And this one scene is them putting the hearts back into them. Yeah. So David's sleeping and Snow is awake. And then somehow they're both awake together. And it looks like they go through a door. Some sort Mm -hmm. of like magic door. Which we've seen before. I don't know if it's the same door. I didn't get a chance to look at it that closely. But we have seen doors before. Like the one to Arendelle. Mm -hmm. And then it gets really confusing from there because it looks like they're jumping around in time. So we see young Emma, played by McKenna Grace. So she's about eight, nine, maybe ten years old. 
Mm-hmm. And so we see Rumple with his season one hair, so the long haircut, not the short hair he's been sporting. And he basically warns Snow and Charmy against changing the past and how it can have future consequences. And you're like, but how do you know any of this? If this is, you know, season one pre-Emma showing up in town, you shouldn't know anything. And then the the whole entire thing ends with Snow and Charming standing in front of that door saying what would it, it was something along the lines of them saying um this could change Emma's future or destiny yeah so this whole thing is weird right now we do think that the episode whatever's going on probably ends with the sleeping curse finally being broken and Snow and Charming right. both get to be awake at the same time I mean, it is called Awake. Yes. I have no idea what this means for Emma. I mean, they're not going to, like, unsavor her. (laughs) I love the new word. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because, I mean, think about it. If she wasn't the savior, if they somehow change the past so that they actually get to raise little Emma, then the entire town of Storybrooke doesn't Doesn't exist. it, It doesn't wake up. It's still cursed. Because we did find out in the beginning of the promo, the Dark Fairy made a comment saying Emma was born to break the Dark Curse. Right, and she's the one who made it. Right. So, I don't know. This is going to be one of those episodes where I think at the end of it, we're all going to be scratching our heads and going, okay, sure. Okay, personally, I think this is a filler episode, and by the end of it, it's all going to be back at normal. Right. I don't think... It's going to change anything big. Like, I don't think that Emma is suddenly not going to be the savior and we're going to be looking at a recreation of Storybrooke in season one with evil Mayor Mills and everybody under sleep and and not knowing who they are. So, yeah, I don't think so. I also think that this is the episode in which Hook does actually come home. So whatever he does with Tiger Lily... Um, it looks like he gets home by the end of this episode. And according to all those photos we had when they were shooting these last few episodes, Tiger Lily comes with him. Oh, is that why she gets the name of Native American woman? No, I, I, st- <laughs> I still think that's just strange. <laughs> yeah. So that's all we have really on the episode for you guys. I'm yeah. really sorry. They didn't come out. They probably just threw that together to get something out. Yeah. And so no photos. There are no script teases. They are finished filming for the year, so I don't even have anything to tease from the set. I know. We didn't even find out, like, the big stuff. No, this is one of those seasons where I feel like I don't actually know how it's going to end. Like, we have ideas, but it's always been pretty clear how a season will end. You know, we had very high-definition photos of Rumple stabbing Peter Pan yeah. Um, we had photos of them time traveling. We had photos of the alternate reality. We had photos of Hook coming back to life and, you know, of Robin's funeral. We had photos yeah. of them in New York City. So I have this no is, idea. This is just very strange for the show. They're keeping it very tight-lipped. Which, you know, everyone's kind of going, well, it's the series finale. So they don't want it to get out. Right. And... 
who knows? Adam and Eddie are still maintaining that they have more story they want to tell in a season seven, but that this particular thing known as Once Upon a Time is ending in season six, but there is more to tell, but right. it's like Once Upon a Time, the next generation. Yeah. We'll see if it works, though. Yeah. Because I've seen other shows do it, and it doesn't work. It it very rarely works. Very rarely. Especially if you end up getting rid of so much of your cast. Yeah. So. I think I talked about it on the spoilers once before. The TV show Army Wives, they mm-hmm. switched out the entire cast one season. Like, they would bring in the old ones every once in a while, and then it just didn't work. Yeah. It didn't finish that. They didn't even, I think they finished that season and then it was over with. So, but we got an interview. Okay. It's from Entertainment Weekly and it says, but the prospect of a true happy ending is not necessarily scary to everyone in Storybrooke. Quote, something Snow has been contemplating this entire season is a return to normalcy, Goodwin says. Despite the way it may seem, she doesn't crave drama in her life. And I think that she's really, really ready to have a daily routine and some peace and quiet, and she's prepared for a bit of boredom. I think it would do her some good. Hence, Snow doesn't have any fear in terms of what this could mean. But there it is. Maybe in some people's regard, a little bit of delusion about how much she focuses on the silver lining. Goodwin notes. So it's pretty much what we know. She wants to go back to normal. Yeah. And, you know, they haven't officially announced, but we all pretty much know that they are leaving the show. So I guess there's a season seven, which we still don't know. So I guess Snow and Charming are probably going to get that normalcy that they've both been craving. Yeah, I think they're going to leave and bring baby Neil with them and go get their normalcy. Yep. Okay. Well, we're sorry it's so short, guys, but that's all we have for you this week. Hopefully, ABC will be on top of the ball and actually get us our stuff next week. <laughs> and we we stretched it to the limit with time. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Oncers.